All right, this week we are interviewing Brian Cole, who is the editor-in-chief at Canon Press. We sit down to chat about failed circuses, failed manuscript submissions, and what exactly an editor at a publishing house really does. Thanks, everybody, for listening to another week. Cheers. All right, welcome to Canon Calls, a brand new episode featuring a very special guest, Brian David Cole, B. King Cole, um, Hello. editor, don't know, not yet, um, um, editorial director of Canon Press, also director of operations, maybe? COO. <laughs> Which, who knows what that means. Exactly. Um, thanks so much for being on, Brian. Thanks for taking the time out of your very busy schedule. Um, a circus of sorts <laughs> schedule. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me on, Jake. We did, in fact, visit a circus last night, me and my three kids. So, and, and my wife. <laughs> yeah. And my wife. You yes. have three boys. Yeah, six and under. Fourth one on the way. And Chevy. Four, yeah, fourth boy, not named Chevy or Chevy, however you pronounce that. Chevy Chase Cole. Chevy Chase Cole. I mean, it has something going for it. Yeah. So tell us real quick, because I just, Moscow hosted a circus. We shouldn't necessarily blame Moscow, but they hosted it. Yeah. It, uh, the Garden Bros Circus came to the renowned University of Idaho Kibbe Dome. And, Is uh, there a qualifier you wanted to use on renowned, like world or? Um, town renowned. <laughs> Town Northern Idaho renowned. I think you could say Idaho renowned because Boise comes up here to play. So, do they really? Yeah. Are you sure? Uh, yeah, not anymore. <laughs> Boise used to come here and play. <laughs> Boise used to come here and play. So maybe maybe I'll go with town renowned. Okay. But yeah, so it was it was Palouse I, renowned. Yes, that? Palouse renowned. That's a great that's a great word. Yeah. So uh, as. I was had it once described to me. I'm a Moscow native, so I didn't need it described to me, but I happened to be on the campus and was asking where something was, and some U of I student came up to me and said, oh, the Kibbe Dome, it's at the Kibbe Dome, you know, that giant thing that looks like a beer can half buried in the ground. Wow. and That's great. And that's what it looks like. So that's yeah. where the circus was. It was in the Kibbe Dome. Yeah, and at first you might think that sounds like it's going to be poor, but um, I have memories being an eight-year-old who attended a circus in that Kibbe Dome. And it blew my mind. So I had high expectations. Yeah. And? And it w- did not meet them. It was a very poor circus. Yeah. Uh, but uh, did your boys know any different? Or did they, did they also? Well, I mean, I think I tried to tell them what things were cool. And Asher didn't like the girls dancing. As, you know, the six-year-old, he was like, this is girly stuff. It's ballet. I was like, well, it's not really ballet. But... <laughs> And then uh, the rest of us, yeah, it just was, I think it's more helpful to say the things that it did not have rather than the yeah, things Yeah, sure, let's it, start there. Yeah, so no elephants. Okay. Which seems like a, uh, what's, the, what's, what's that phrase? It's the thing you need for a circus. Yeah. The sine qua non of circuses yeah. is, is, is an elephant. It can be one. more, but it may not be less. Exactly, and this was less than. And then. Uh, How about, it? well, surely it had a lion. It did also did not have a lion. I was willing to give up on the lion if there had been an elephant. Yeah, but no, no lions. How about um, were there was there anyone? Um, I've forgotten what it's called, but like they they're hanging on the bar way high up in the air, and you know, you there was a little bit of people hanging on bars, but no official flying trapeze. Yeah, that's what I'm looking. Yeah, for. none of that. There also was no fire. I feel like circus really needs like rings of fire. Right. People shooting out of cannons. People um, breathing fire. People breathing fire. Yeah, that would be acceptable. Although maybe that's more carnival. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Fascinating distinctions, I think. Yeah. Well, I... I Circus, I, carnival, state fair, go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think the, an MDiv could be done on that. Yikes. I mean, that's a loaded term there these days, the MDiv. Uh, no. Anybody can have them, though. Uh, apparently, that's what they say. So. No gender distinctions whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know that not too long ago, my alma mater um, was blown up on the spot by, uh, 
I believe, led by the late Rachel Held Evans, um, Dr. Piper put out a statement about Bethlehem College and Seminary that these courses were um, intended for pastors. Mm-hmm. Therefore, not for women. Therefore, we're not accepting women into mm-hmm. the seminary courses. Um, anyway, it did not go well a few years ago. And it seems like. Yeah, it seems like it's much harder to find someone who's willing to say that um, an, a seminary specific course cannot be taken by women. But it is funny now because the medium, the content, I'm sure those guys are going to argue the content of what you just said. You know, these are, well, and what Dr. Piper said. But it, I feel like it's a lot harder to contain once you're at, you know, the biggest seminary in the world and you're offering right. all kinds of courses. And, you know, yeah. could you really tell somebody why they can't? Yeah, we're outside of, way outside of my expertise right now. But, I know. <laughs> but from what I've, you know, what, what seems to make sense is if the seminary is just a broader general education and it's about the Bible and the gospel, then absolutely why wouldn't a woman be allowed to learn more about the Bible? In fact, right. encouraged to, as, right. as we'd say uh, at New St. Andrews or whatever. Um, it just seems like a little, it seems like a, a, a wicked game of Twister. Uh, maybe work with me on that metaphor. Just, you know, and it would be like the, <laughs> I mean, we're words people. So we do like to see like if the, the Dean, see if this is like a poor metaphor or a, a good metaphor. Spun the wheel, like spun the wheel. So let's work this through. A, a, well, the wheel that he's holding the wheel of, uh, right. Of the twister game. Yeah. He spins the little flippy thing. Yep. And he's, and then he, he looks at Albert Muller and he says, okay left hand um are you sure it's albert not alfred <laughs> i'm kidding that's a joke. oh jeez dude <laughs> anyways um, keep going with me on this <laughs> left hand um conservative um yeah. reformed evangelical homemade and, and baptist and he's a baptist so baptist standards yeah. Yeah. that we've always had yeah Oh, I'm seeing where this metaphor's going. And oh. then they spin the thing again. You but know? it's also like anybody who can pay for this because we got to make money. And that's the blue circle that's on the right other side of the twister anybody board. Anybody that yeah. can pay for this mm-hmm. giant thing you have here. Right. And then right and then foot. Who knows where your feet are going? Your, your right foot's supposedly on the Bible, but. Yeah. Well, and then he's just like right foot. Yeah. Hey, you've got a complicated past at your school. And he's just like, oh. It's yeah. Getting tough. Yeah. Did right. I succeed? Did I? W- I, th- I think so. I mean, it's not the first metaphor that, as an editor, I would go to to describe the MDiv situation, but worth a sketch. I feel like no. I think so. Um, okay. Well, so basically, I felt like we had to redeem the circus time that we spent. Well, honestly, the way that I wanted to redeem it is, I, I, one of my the most entertaining and usually not super profitable parts of my professional existence are when I receive admissions, unsolicited submissions, I should yeah. say. And I once received at Canon Press an unsolicited submission from a clown. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this, this, this reminded me of it because... What was his name? Um, well, I don't really want to call him out on, oh, yeah, uh, right, 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 on right. air. No, it's good. But uh, this Let's was... Let's leave names out of this. Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably safe because he was, he said, I have been a professional clown for some large number of years. I mean, we're talking yeah. decades here. And thought that a joke book would be a great move for a clown. Um, and he sent me a joke book. Well, it's based on the joke, you know, two cannibals are eating a clown and one of them says to the other one, hey, does this taste funny to you? And so, so, so his manuscript was called Clowns Have Funny Tastes. So that was his manuscript title. I said, thank you for thinking of Canon Press. But <laughs> Brian looked around in his cabinet of like cans of canned responses yeah. and said, this one will do. Yeah, and uh, I said, thank you. And I generally mean that. Then I didn't mean it in this case. Thanks for finding Canon Press. We're not a good fit for a clown joke book from a professional clown. Yeah, that's interesting you say that because I, you know, all of Christ for all of life being, you know, the heartbeat here. Why would you say as the editorial director that this clown book (laughs) sort of was outside of the bounds of, uh, 
wouldn't say it's outside the bounds of Christendom. I sure. would just say it's outside the bounds of Canon Press being able to properly partner with the professional clown to have a successful book release and edify our audience. <laughs> <laughs> but I fondly remember him um, and, and that joke. In fact, yeah. I happened to notice that Ivanka Trump, Trump tweeted that joke. Uh, got a decent amount of... No, she didn't. Yes, yeah, she did. She tweeted the clown joke? Yeah. The, Ivanka Trump did? Yes, she did. It was weird. I was. When I, did she do that? I, I, but, um, it was like two, a couple of years ago. I mean, it's all over the internet. So like there's scholarly articles on the jokes, the connection between clowns and funny. And, you know, if you say, hey, two cannonballs eating a rotten egg, one of them says, hey, does this taste funny to you? That's not funny. So why is it funny when we swap the clown in there instead? So, I mean, there's like, it, it's... it's uh, So you're saying that the clown who submitted his work to us... He was a joke thief. I, I'm I'm just saying this is a standard joke. Okay. And such that Ivanka Trump Got it. has tweeted it to her yeah. audience. Personal opinions only on her page. I saw that. Does not represent DT. R, do RTs equal endorsements? Um, she didn't say that exactly, but um, it's definitely personal. No connection with her her father. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, submissions. Those are those are one of the the more entertaining parts of our job. And this was back when we didn't accept unsolicited manuscripts at all. So by definition, only crazy people would send. Right. Or mistaken people, Brian. Yeah, the crazy is a little strong, but it is a clown we're talking about. So yeah. So that was way back then. Canon Press was very small. Yep. We did not accept unsolicited manuscripts, but manuscripts. But now we do. Right. And in fact, we get much more decent ones now. And if I if I can um, if I can just guess what you might have prepared for this podcast, um, <laughs> you are going to illustrate to people why you ought not to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have gotten good manuscript submissions, but I've also talked to many people in the publishing industry, uh, I, and listen to them speak about manuscript submissions and it's a process where the majority of manuscripts submitted are awful like for some reason i don't understand it people don't tend to submit good manuscripts so that means for any aspiring writers or authors out there if you do a normal submission such that a normal person would read it and not be immediately confused or wondering where you're coming from you're pretty likely to get a response it's gonna be good yeah i think so yeah one publishing editor that I was talking to was telling me they had to call the cops on one manuscript submission that they received really? once because it was for like a, a murder mystery or something like that. I didn't get it's all just the details. Like, let's say it. that a guy turns in a manuscript and it's not accepted. Yeah. You know, here's my here's my narrative. Let's play that out. <laughs> I, I mean, I think this one was just the details included in the manuscript submission were either threatening or included, you know, enough enough. I, you know, people are always trying to ginger up the book submission in a way that the yeah. editor's attention right. is attracted. Right. And that's just a path that's right. not great to go down. Because there are publishing houses who look at, I mean, how many manuscripts a day? Would you guess? Oh, man. So many. I mean, it depends. Uh, in fact, the big publishers won't accept a manuscript from an author at all. You must find an agent. Right. And so the, the, the huge publishers are getting multiple submissions from agents. So they're not even going to take a look at random person who submitted their manuscript to them unless they first have convinced an agent that it's worthwhile right to go to go through that process so before i want to go into that but before then let's mm -hmm. back it up a little bit you yeah. said you're a moscow native oh sorry moscow native mm -hmm. um yeah i was born and raised in moscow got all the small town blinders okay. all the small town goodness yep okay it's mm -hmm. very uh <laughs> And you went to Logos School. I did. My father uh, has been a teacher at Logos School for 30-something years. And he's been an elementary school teacher that whole time. So we, I, I uh, yeah, we're raised here. I saw him yesterday, speaking of your father, mm -hmm. um, leading a pack of rabid fifth graders mm -hmm. down downtown. Oh, wow. That's brave of him. Yeah. I think normally he likes to keep it, you know, in the school. But you wouldn't have guessed. I mean, he looked like he was in charge. He had my favorite backpack yep. on. Jansport, probably. Yep. The one, same one that when I sit behind him at church that he has. It's yeah. Great to see. Well, I think they were heading off to their school field trip where they go identify trees. 
Okay. At the U of I Arboretum. Oh, wow. So. It was it, interesting because I was, we were at Bootsers. And there they go. Nice. It's an odd way to get to the Arboretum. But, uh, you know, I'll have to ask them about it. Yeah. I, I assume, I mean, I can't see why they'd be downtown unless they're distinguishing between conifers, deciduous. Okay. Your various types. You know, I mean, we can get into that if you'd like. <laughs> I feel like an I feel like an editor's job is to be interested in maybe too many things. Sure. Because you've got Would to re- you say that you're interested in too many things? I think so. I mean, I think that's been that's I mean, too many sounds negative. I just think a lot of things. Yeah. It it's it's something that you look back on and you say, "Hey, is it would it have been better to focus on a particular area?" And and for most people through their undergrad degree, I'd say no. You want to get as broad as possible. And then um I obviously am getting, I'm getting a master's degree now. So that's going a lot deeper in a specific area, in this case, fiction. So you went to Logos School. Your dad teaches there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yep. then you went to New St. Andrews, Andrews for my undergrad. And then uh, I'm now probably, or hopefully at least by the time this episode is released, will be a master from the University of Oxford. Okay. Yeah. So they're tanking. Yeah, as far as prestige. Uh, well, as far as like awesomeness, I'd, I'd say they're on on the rise. Meaning me, that's me. I'm the part of the awesome that's on the rise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it is cool. Well, um, thanks, Jake. No, it is. I, I've always thought, and when by always, I mean in the last like, it hasn't been very long. But I was like, wow, Oxford seems cool. Um, yeah, and well, you get to go overseas. Yeah, fly to England a lot. Yeah, get stuck in Germany. Get stuck in Ireland. Classic. Yeah. Both those um, things get stuck in Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> nice time, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oxford gets uh, the number one university ranking all the time for all the wrong reasons. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah. All the awesome reasons you were mentioning earlier? I, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the number one receptor of Brian David Coles in the yeah, world? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I mean, it's tied with New St. Andrews as far as that's concerned. So. Right. Yeah. Which is a huge honor. Yeah, for um, Oxford. <laughs> I'm pretty fond of New St. Andrews. Yeah. Um, I've talked to the couple, couple of the guys in the office about their New St. Andrews experience. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, we have a couple of creatives. Oh, um, a dangerous term. A creatives. dangerous term. Artists. Uh-huh. Um, very specific in their, um, their vocation. These are... Um, right. And so for you, you're an editor. Yeah. New St. Andrews, a, ki- a kind of education from New St. Andrews seems to make a lot more sense for your, for your kind. Mm-hmm. Specifically word people? Or are you talking creatives in general? Word people, no. Well, no. creatives in general, James did a great job of talking about his design work. Well, it's founded not... upon, gotcha. you know, the kind of creative stuff that he experienced at New St. Andrews, whether it's poetry, history. Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but you are the first. Um, I've kind of set up everybody else's interview and in saying most of, you know, the general population when they think of, is this piece of art good? Is this piece of art bad? We're judging content mm-hmm. um, in terms of like, did they say this was good? Did they say this was bad? Are they glorifying mm-hmm. X? Gotcha. You know, that's yeah. generally, I think, the general filters of yeah. the American evangelical populace. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've had some interesting conversations about the other side, as far as medium, had Forrest Dickinson trashing bad animation. Okay. Nice. Um, Jim, uh, James, you know, trashing bad logos, mm-hmm. bad brands. And yep. so here we are. We're to Brian Cole and we finally get to talk about content. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I, I think, I think I've found sort of a basic Schaefer approach to be pretty helpful. And I think it's something that uh, the people don't understand when they come to look at a new, an entire work. You mean Francis Schaefer? Yeah. So so basically their approach, you want to kind of divide it into three ways. Does this have technical excellence? Does it have moral excellence? And then yeah, these these may not be his terms. These these are just broader terms. And does it have an, an, an audience excellence, like responsorial? Might be a word you'd want to use. Responsorial. Yeah, I mean, that's probably not a word you want to use. I should think of a better one. But uh, basically, is is your content trying to get people to do good things? Is your oh, content okay. technically excellent itself? The call to action is yeah, holy. Yeah, and then is your content artistically excellent? And then is your content true? 
does it match how God made the world? And those are kind of, I find, really three helpful ways to evaluate fiction specifically, but obviously it applies to nonfiction as well. It's just harder to tell with fiction. So that's generally the grid that you use at work. Mm-hmm. And New St. Andrews is something that helped you get there. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I find, especially with New St. Andrews, getting a chance to look at different topics in the best of the Western tradition, getting a chance to study rhetoric. Rhetoric's been immensely helpful um, as far as that analysis between ethos, personal credibility, pathos, emotion, and logos, reasoned argument. That's kind of the way that everybody should approach everything, in my opinion. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And when you say everything, you mean? I mean, I mean everything. So, so I'd say that when you get Forrest specifically talking about art or James specifically talking about design, they're borrowing on those three categories, um, which obviously tend to be more easily applied to words in a rhetoric class. But I think that's the fundamental basis. Of, but you're saying like your banker. Yeah. I mean, how to bring the heat. Yeah. In, the, in, in, in that grid of. Yeah. Absolutely. So if you're trying to look at something and trying to critique it, you need to be able to have an answer about those three categories or those three responses. Um, other, I, I also have been a teacher for a long time. And so that's another way. And th- they're all grids of three. They all have to do with God, yourself, and your audience. And so good teachers love what they teach. They love their students and they love God. And that three sort of triangle is what makes education work. It's yeah. also what makes art work. It's also what makes words work. I, it's, it's kind of the way you approach anything. Okay. So New St. Andrews was a great experience. You're teaching at New St. Andrews now. Yeah, I'll be teaching um, freshman rhetoric this okay. fall. I got, to be, I got to TA for Mr. Andy Wilson for several years, and that was uh, a wonderful time. He's learned tons from, from Nate, um, and now I'll be doing it all myself. Okay. So specifically with an emphasis on developing writers and teaching people how to write academic fiction or just generally coherent thought. Yeah. Would you say that's a rare thing? Um, it, it seems like it's becoming more and more rare. I mean, I, as, as you interact with more people in the broader world, you, you realize that there are basic categories or basic distinctions that logic can be really helpful for. And you just don't bump into certain kinds of arguments with people who have been educated generally um, in, in the classical tradition. So I, I'm a big fan, obviously, of education. And, yeah. you know, so the more, the more it just allows the argument to come to its sticking point, kind of the point where you actually have a disagreement as opposed to blabbing on and on, which I'm yeah, kind of doing right but now. There's, no, but there's a, you know, it, it's art to, the art of rhetoric, it's art to actually know where the argument hinges. Yeah, so in the classical study, that's stasis. So stasis theory has to, it comes from the word for standing. So the point is, where are we standing? And as, for example, in the current abortion debates, when you're arguing with a person who has no clue where they are standing, it's almost impossible to have headway. Yeah. No, it's interesting. Especially, I was, I was going to go with the abortion debate. But when one of the more like astounding things is when, uh, man, I just saw somebody say something to the effect of like, how convenient are the newborns for conservatives to rally for, you know, <laughs> or something like that. And it's just like, you know, these are people who, don't demand like your, they basically are saying they don't demand your time, your money, you know, your wall or, you know, basically it's not it. They're outside of the current fire for the most of the like, political uh, they're, debates. They're trying to say a, a newborn isn't going to make you change your political beliefs or something like that. Is that kind of basically what like right now, all the hot topics on politics are yeah. things like open borders, yeah. immigration. Yeah. And it's just like, here's something where conservatives can champion like they're progressives. Because there's basically, I think what they're saying is no skin in the game. There's no skin in the game here. You're just forcing what? women to keep their, their children. But anyway, but it's so funny because it's just like, so, but real quick though, are we agreed that it's murder though? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Before we move yeah, on, like, absolutely. We're agreed back there that that's murder. Right. Um, so when you approach that argument, it obviously rhetoric really depends on the person that, that you're talking to, like where you're trying to get them. But, but yeah, that's so, that's, that's kind of the place where you try and just push them to make the call. Like, are, so is it murder? Right. You know, you, you know, is this a human that's being killed uh, or is it not? And then right. obviously that's a trap because if they say it's not, then you take it straight to science, which is usually the place where they love to beat up Christians. And you yep. say, well, give me some, give me some distinctions about why this is not a human. And of course there are none. 
And then what they have to do if they're, you know, this is, you know, then what they have to do is jump to the philosophical side and say, well, it is a human and it is alive, but is it a person? And as soon as they jump into philosophy, you usually can, uh, you know, pants them. I I once heard Nate talk about, um, I think he said this to a, it was a K through 12. So it was a, it was a, you know, a classical Christian school somewhere. He said something to the effect of like this education it will be like everybody else around you is moving in slow motion, mm. you know, and you're yep. just like doing normal things, but they're just like, Oh, they're still back. You know? Yeah. Yeah. We, that's uh, one of the descriptions in, in Rebecca Merkel's book, classical me, which is specifically talking about classical education. She makes that point. Available canonpress.com. <laughs> she makes the point that uh, it's, it's a great book. Everybody should read it. Uh, especially people who have only read the theory side of classical education. This is much about the practice. But I was, what I was getting to is she was saying the ability to answer a question is almost a superpower when you have not been taught how to do it. And that means like being able to answer a question without having, you know, look at a text. What is this saying? And give an answer is something that actually shouldn't be taken for granted. And when you run into somebody who is not able to do it, it's, it's uh, really disheartening because there's almost no way for you two to come to grips in a helpful way. Because obviously uh, a rhetorical discussion you're both trying to work together and uh, you want the arguments to come together without distractions, no fallacies. You want them to come together in a way that both ideologies grapple together. And then in a way that, you know, you're able to love the person, love your content, love God, and hopefully present this person with the truth to obligate them to believe. That's kind of the big rhetoric buzzword. That, obligate? Yeah. That's interesting because I think that brings up an interesting, I would, I would think that the Western classical rhetoric would be to persuade. Yeah. Um, uh, Aristotle defines it as coming up in any situation with the available means of persuasion. So he definitely takes it that route. But that could honestly be, it's a little too broad. This is all stuff that I've taken from another Canon Press book and Nate specifically, The Rhetoric Companion. Right. Um, obviously, the broader tradition as well. I'm reading another book, Oz Guinness's Fool's Talk, which is super helpful, as well as discussing kind of what happens in a post-Christian world when we're trying to persuade. And, uh, what I was saying, what was I saying? Oh yeah. So the point of rhetoric is not just to persuade because you, you, you could persuade somebody by pointing a gun at them, you know, but, but instead that idea to obligate belief, which is Nate's term, which um, basically you want to show them the truth, but you can't define your own success by whether the Holy Spirit makes that person respond right then. But that idea of showing someone the light is, is what the Christian, what Christian rhetoric is supposed to do. No, that's really good. So generally in the world, as an editor, you have a unique sort of uh, a lens of just watching how folks are not that great at being clear. Yeah. Clarity seems to be a rare thing. Yeah, and I'm, and obviously I'm not saying that I'm great at this either. It's the kind of thing that you that the editor's job is to, well, okay, so... One thing that distinguishes an editor from other kinds of, of people, I think, is like an intense optimism for all kinds of work. So this sometimes will get you into trouble because you'll like something that's, that's irredeemable. Not, not as in it's too evil, but as in it's too broken to be fixed. It needs to be started over and scra- you know, started from scratch. But an editor needs to be an optimist. An editor, you need to take, you, when you're looking for an editor, you want to find somebody with whom you can share your vision for the product and then they get your vision and then you both go look at your manuscript and the editor says, oh, but you need this and this and this in order for your book to communicate that vision to somebody who does not get your vision like me. So uh, editors as optimists, I think, is, I think is, a, is a fun way of thinking about my job. Okay. And it's funny, too, because people generally, I think authors, uh, we've had some responses from authors where they're like, wow, you guys were actually helpful. And I always laugh <laughs> because the point, whole point of an editorial department is only to help the author. Yeah. You know? And so when someone says, oh, wow, you're actually helpful, you know, it's kind of hilarious because that's what the entire process, you know, uh, I don't know, would it be helpful to go through the process of editorial? Yeah, go ahead. So, yeah, you get a manuscript and then what? Yeah, so once we've done the whole work of talking to an author and deciding that it would be good to partner on a manuscript, which is, you can't really brush it away because that's kind of the crux. You know, as soon as you decide a book, all of a sudden... I'm no longer making decisions just for me and my time on specifically answering that email, but I'm investing everybody from Jake in marketing to James in design to Forrest in illustration 
to our production people and our back end stuff and my other my the editors who work underneath me and all that stuff. So once that's done and you've accepted the manuscript, the point is you you move forward into what's called manuscript development. And manuscript development is kind of the first big stage where you look at the book as a whole and say, where's this broken? Right. I think, if at least me, uh, a general misconception of editing is that it's just copy editing. Oh, yeah. Great. Yeah. I'm just catching, right. you know, commas yeah. where they shouldn't be. How much would you say copy editing is your job? Um, actually, I mean, yeah, that's, that's so true. Um, people think that if you say you're an editor, that means that you're the person who notices every comma. And in fact, the proofreading and copy editing is often the part that is contracted out of publishers, where they hire copy editors and proofreaders, people who are so nitpicky and really good at those grammatical rules. And that's the part, that's, that's the final polish. It's right. the part that if you didn't do it, so if you have a car that you're repainting, you want to get everything, you, it say it was in a wreck and you want to fix the car. You want to get everything good underneath. You got to get the bone solid of the car. You got to get, sand out all the bumps. You got to make it all work. And then, and then after the car is perfect and ready to go, you that's go when you go polish and paint. And that's what copy editing, well, not even copy editing, but so much as proofreading. Um, that's the proofreading where you finally put the final coat of polish on it. And especially with words, it's probably not best for the person who's already spent so much time with it to yeah. then go into the proofreading and yeah. copy editing yeah. portion. Yeah, and I proofread, obviously, but uh, have found that good proofreaders are a different type of person from good editors, right? although they can't overlap. So but yeah, the manuscript development's that big phase where you're trying to say, hey, you're missing an entire section of your book. And the person will say, oh, I am? <laughs> Yeah. And you'll say, yeah, yeah, this is what needs to be made. And just in terms of like the, your points or like the things that you're trying to say, yeah, are you, you're missing a whole section here. Right. You know, you should broaden this right. discussion out, make this bigger, make this smaller. Yeah. And it's going to relate to the three points we already talked about. Right. Where you're going to say you're missing something that's going to bring your audience with you. Or, hey, you're missing something about yourself that makes you compelling when you talk to me, but it's not on the page. Right. Or you're missing something... You know, this one tends to be Christians are great at saying why this thing is, why God agrees with them. Um, so that one tends to be missing, not, not quite so much something that's missing in manuscript development, but it's usually that process of convincing someone with ethos, pathos, as well as just the Bible-centric logos. Right. So you're, you're, you guys are built, you're, for the most part, you're building. Yeah. It's, it's way less about just like yeah. nitpicking about hyphens and... yeah. Yep. In those things. Although, although obviously that's, that's is part of the process because it is important and it's not, we have it's enough, much more yeah. than, but nothing less. <laughs> yeah. And we have the skeletons in our closet of something where an error has gotten through and, and you know that everyone and their mother has noticed it. I guess, I guess part of the process is now that you, re when you read with an eye, any publisher will have errors get through in their manuscript. Right. So, but yeah, manuscript developments, that first stage, the next stage is you know, depending on how, how broad you do this, but I'd say it would be a general editorial read because the manuscript developments when you tell the author to go back and write more. The editorial read is more when you're on a broader level of let's rearrange chapters. You know, you're still missing a bit of an introduction or hey, this chapter is still weak. You know, big picture stuff still. That's editorial, just basic editorial work. Then once the book is set and the manuscript is officially delivered, that's usually when you satisfy the goals of the contract. Then you can move into copy editing, which is paragraph level stuff where you're trying to clean up prose, make it smooth, delete repetition, add okay. interesting stuff. And then finally, the final step is proofreading. That's your whole job. And that's my job. Yeah. Okay. And then obviously as uh, <clears throat> the editorial department has to work hand in hand with everybody else to make sure that the design and everything matches what the vision for the book is and also looks like what the book is supposed to be to potential buyers so you see that book and you get it and you aren't disappointed with what's inside got it there you yeah. go yeah and as you can see that's part of the reason why we give that response to to take it back to submissions that's why we give the response to the clown guy um you know hey fun idea just really not something that you're gonna find a good partnership with you know we're not loving our people by publishing your clown book yeah so talk a little bit about that because you said you're you consider it's got to fit the publishing house yeah. To some degree, right? I, st yeah. I feel like that's probably less so on the larger scale. Well, actually, I mean, it's actually really specific imprint-wise. So you're right that... Imprint-wise, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Random House will find... Random House will have a department that does everything. 
But you got to find the right agent who will match you. So I've had heard horror stories from people who found the wrong agent, and then they're getting pitched to all of these things that are just not what their book is. And so that's all those reject- rejections. Right. Or, or the agent's telling you to rewrite the book in these particular ways that are actually not where you wanted to go with it. So, But I think a textbook example, I actually have another submission that's super, yeah, super kind of funny. Um, this is another example of just not knowing what your publisher does. This okay. is this is this is one that was typewritten. Uh, th- this genre of mistake, I think, is probably the number one, yeah, submission mistake. Yep, I would agree with this. Um, I, so so this is this is from a, a Gary. Gary sent this to us, and okay. he type type wrote the ne- message to us, included a stamped envelope okay. for me to send the reply, which is all textbook stuff, as far as about fifteen years ago. Okay, um, before email was the thing that people right. did. So um, longer than 15 years ago. Most well, I guess it's 25 now. Yeah. Probably 25 years ago. This was textbook. They always said in every editorial book, don't send a submission without sending a stamped envelope for them to send back the reply to you because that's just rude. And but, they, they got to, you got to make it as easy as possible yeah, for them to respond. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So this, this says, this says can impress spelled wrong. <laughs> C-A-N-N-O-N. Which okay. I admit is not like the worst mistake to make, but. But. But I mean, also, did you look at our website? Right. I think he did. But he said, Dear Editor, Creatures of the Night, that's his title. Creatures of the Night is a novel inspired by the classic movie monsters of the 1930s and the 1940s, even a little of the 1950s. That's his opening paragraph. Just a banger. I know. Um, And which Brian's thinking like, oh, wow, he's including the 1950s monsters. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's another thing where I don't, I'm afraid I'm not up on my monster movies of any decade. (laughs) So didn't didn't really help me a lot. Yeah. Maybe some specific names. I mean, is that like when the first Frankenstein came out? 30s? Probably. Yeah. I mean. 100%. I should know that, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anyways, the story. That's the next paragraph. This is the good part. Okay. Dr. Lauren's wife, Celia, is lonely and depressed. I'm reading it as it is written. So you're saying it didn't have an ED? Right, she's just depressed. Okay. Okay. (laughs) To take her mind off of her problems, she goes to a local tavern in town. The local tavern. It is here she meets a drifter, Gary. Gary's the name of the guy who said it. Yeah, so anyways. uh, uh, Soon a relationship develops. One night, Celia is planning on some very tense loving with Gary. Hold on, don't worry. We get past this part quickly. <laughs> it's a Christian podcast, Brian. Yeah, sorry. <clears throat> Tense loving. I don't know what that is anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> they are caught. Past by... tense, by the way? Tensed? Tensed, yeah. Tensed. Uh, past tense. I don't, know what, I don't know what the deal is. They are caught by Dr. Lauren. He takes them to his gothic mansion. Boom. Okay, here we go. Dr. Lauren gives Gary a needle injection, as opposed to other kinds of injections. Soon Gary escapes. Celia learns her lover has been changed into a werewolf. To get back at Dr. Lauren and his crew, Celia steals a couple of needles with certain drugs. One assistant comes, a cat-like creature called the Creeper. Another comes, the Atomic Beast, a half-man rock thing that lives on radiation. See, that's the kind of explanation that you need when you're reading one of these things. (laughs) It lives in an underground lake. Anyways, guys, it keeps going. I don't think we need to go any further. There's blood transfusions. There's obviously werewolf and girlfriend. Um, Dude, could you imagine a werewolf named Gary? Who would just be like super concerned about his yard? You know what I mean? <laughs> middle class fancy, yeah. the werewolf middle class fancy. Yeah, and like he'd be watering his lawn, and then start to transform and be like, "Oh no, you know what I mean? Yeah, I gotta get to Chad's no. yard, so I yeah. mess his yard up." <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> just like tearing down hedges, being like, "Yeah, no, you know yeah. what I mean?" Hoping Anyways. he steers clear of his own hedges. Yeah, I mean, people turn up either dead or missing, maybe both. Um, yeah. What's what's uh, and then he finishes he finishes it up with a great line here that I wanted to share as as an actual um, pretty good close. I hope you are interesting in meeting the creatures of the night. <laughs> Who could not be? And I mean, some of me wants to see the the manuscript anyway, right? Yeah, there's definitely a part of you, but then <laughs> it's uh, it's an unkind part. It of is you. an unkind. Yeah, that's a really unkind but, part. And and less people think. Um, we are just roasting yeah. these submissions. Right. Um, As I, I said, this was years ago when we did not accept submissions, so receiving <laughs> one was a real treat. Yeah. I have to think, too, that uh, I talked to Forrest about this. Mm-hmm. You know, Forrest is, is new in the, in the art of words. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, Forrest, you know, let's say you're in a Tuesday morning 
writers group. Oh, wow. You know? <laughs> One of those. I've heard they exist. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but uh, we were talking about in terms of when you fail, yeah. you always fail in the way, like, for example, Brian will always fail the way Brian fails. Oh, yeah, definitely. So the way I fail, overriding, inserting too much of the narrator, getting a little too wordy, you know, that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, not going for it, Yeah, you know, or something, you know, it's yeah. just like this, it's, it's funny, I learned in such a group one time, you know, it's just like, wow, most of the critiques I'm getting, they could just tell me in about real anything. life. Yeah. yeah, about anything that you'd ever yeah. actually done. Ever. Yeah, not even just written. Yeah. That's it's pretty frustrating. Yeah, that's why I feel like rhetoric is such such a life skill. Yeah. Because once you identify a failure of, say, character right. on the written page, generally the failure of character comes from a real failure of character. Of the author. Of the author. Right. Yeah. And, a, yeah. yeah. And there's those moments when you get caught in one that's generally a failure. Mm. And it's it's one of the more humbling things. Yeah. Because you're really putting your you're putting your tastes out on the line, right? And you're saying, "Huh? Yeah, I thought this was good enough to print off and bring to you guys." Yeah, and uh, man, there's nothing better than those things. Yeah, some yeah. of my favorite parts of the Oxford program have been workshopping, just being full aid. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Um, returning to Gary, yeah, one of the one of my favorite most prescient things that Gary did is he accidentally wrote Cannonball Press. And crossed out the ball part, you know. No. But now we have an imprint called Cannonball <laughs> Books, specifically for no fiction. Way. So the guy's prescient. Man, yeah. Do you even want to go into maybe what these are metaphors for? I think they're metaphors that there is a god. No, no, no. I mean, the werewolves, the monsters. Oh wow, creatures of the night. Yeah. No, Gary doesn't care about that stuff. <laughs> are you sure? I'm positive. <laughs> Yeah. Others might. We could get into that. I, uh, uh, aren't you, uh, writing a guide, <laughs> a guide for Frankenstein? I am writing a worldview guide for, so, for Frankenstein. So Jake cares about this. We'll talk about that later when it comes out. Yeah. I'd love to do an episode with my editor. Oh, Brian yeah. Cole. Yeah. Absolutely. Maybe we bring in both Brian's. Yeah. Uh, yep. Brian Marr, my sub editor. We get a lot done and we're looking forward to shredding Mr. McAtee's <laughs> Frankenstein guide. Not to mention crime and punishment. I, I saw that I was clicked up, assigned. Oh, were you assigned to it? Click up, assigned. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Well, when you assign the task to someone, it becomes real as everyone that's what else. I am. Yeah. Yeah. So our first thing with his worldview guide will be to hold it up next to creatures of the night and just see, see just see which one is better. Let's shed a little light on one or the other. Right. Do we have needle injections? Yeah. You know, not one. Probably good. Yeah. So. Um. Brian, what are the things you're doing at Canon? Um, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> I was just taking a look at. Uh, I had an awesome quote. An awesome quote. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm. You know, here I am trying to work with what you brought. I know. I, yeah. Well, what do you have here? Yeah. Well, uh, this is this is uh, this is specifically we were talking about talent and specifically submission yeah. and what you do with that process and and I think one of the things an editor also likes to do is just. As much as we've made fun of a couple submissions that we've received, that's how we find great new stuff. Right. As well as talking to people who have talked to other people who found great new stuff. And so one of my chief jobs, if someone says, hey, can I show you something I wrote? You know, I'm not sitting there dying inside. I'm sitting there saying, yeah, send me what you, what you have. Right. And I may not make it very far into it, but if I do, then it's going to be helpful. You know, or if I if I quit in the first couple sentences, it may be you're saying helpful. you're invested. This could be good for yeah. you. Yeah, uh, lots of people we've talked to. Like we've had a number of of uh, big um, acquisitions editors come speak to us at at the Oxford grad program, and as they've pointed out, publishers are looking for good writers. We're not we're not looking to exist on our own without outside of you know, and and the authors occasionally intrude and bother us as we publish. You so know? basically, what you're saying is your job. Is like the first three weeks of American Idol. Okay, well, this is another one of those metaphors where I kind of need you to just. Well, yeah, you know what I mean. Like you're gonna. I mean, everybody knows the first week, three weeks of American Idol. Everybody just watches because it's the people that think they're very good, right? Yeah, and they're just getting televised. There we to go. Get okay, yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's been a while since I've, <clears throat> you know, partook. <laughs> <laughs> when, when was the last time you partook? 
Uh, I can't recall ever watching American, <laughs> ever watching American Idol. Yeah. I have watched clips, I think. Yeah. YouTubes. Were uh, about these clips, were they people that could sing or not sing? You know, you want to watch the weird ones. Right. Yeah. And they know that. Right. That's hence this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> okay, dude. That was a little. <laughs> no. I meant the, the discussing the submission letters, of course. Are you sure? So what's your quote, man? Yeah. Why, so why don't you l- just l- make this, Listen, you know... listen, dude. Okay, so Flaubert, all right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Flaubert you in a letter. F-L-A-U-B-E-R-T. Is that how you say it? Flaubert? I don't know. It's Flaubert. Pretty yeah, sure I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Thanks for spelling it for the listeners. Yeah. As in the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Who wrote a letter to Van Gogh. He said, talent is long patience and originality is an effort of will and of intense observation. And those are all things people can do. You can be patient. You can have an originality of effort because you try effort of will. And then you also can intensely observe things, which is uh, if I keep referencing Canon products, but Nate has a video in his school, Fantastical Wordcraft, several videos, in fact, that are just saying, you need to go watch people and understand what makes them tick. And if you can do that and capture that on the page, you're a writer. There it is. You know, I've found that uh, as I interview guys in-house, the general um, call to action is just to be, and even in terms of like, what is the engine that makes them better at what they do, is never a specialized degree or certificate right. or anything like that. But it's always generally be a good, be a better human being with better mm-hmm. eyeballs, like get, yeah. get better eyeballs. Yeah. Um, you know, get up early, put in the time, you know, or stay up late. Either one doesn't really matter. Just put in the time. Um, on one end talent is long patience. Yeah. That candle, that candle must be burned. doesn't need to be burned at both ends. Boat does need to be lit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, dude. I hear you, dude. He's up. <laughs> Jacob, we're just talking. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, there's a couple directions that, you know, it's, it's possible to go from there. You know, just like working hard on things that you care about. Clearly, Gary likes monster movies. That's how Stephen King got started. I really right. love, I despise most of what Stephen King has written and really, really love his book on writing. His nonfiction is... Is is what's the word primo? Primo. Primo nonfiction. Fiction. Fiction tends to be the worst of campy horror. Not yeah. the worst of campy horror, but uh, Stephen King tends to devolve toward campy horror. Yeah. So there we are. I mean, as as far as other things that I feel like authors should be interested in, words. I mean, I think that's why I I've had a couple poems published, and I think poetry is a great sort of exercise at condensing what's important. And putting it on a page and trying to string an audience along behind you. That sounds manipulative, but trying to get an audience to follow you on a very specific path. So that's one reason that I I love poetry. I think poetry in microcosm is a metaphor for how a novel needs to work. Although poets and, yeah. I think you single-handedly took down a website after your submission. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, it's back up again. Oh, it is? Yeah, it's back up again. No way. Yeah, they published some new content. Recently. Wow, I'd love to. Yeah, uh, no, yeah, the curator. It's a New York magazine. Published a couple of my poems, and then published like I think one or two other things, and then we're not heard from from a couple of years, and then somebody picked them up. Here they are. They're back up again. So you're an editor, mm-hmm. but you're going to Oxford for what? Editor uh, stuff. A, mas- no? a master, yeah, editor stuff. A master of studies in creative writing, specifically fiction. So, okay. but it, you have other desires. Right. To... So Master of Studies, part of the reason I wanted the program, well, first, it's at Oxford. Second program is that it's... Because it's you're both... obsessed with Harry Potter. Yeah, definitely. Have seen the kitchen... <clears throat> no, dining room. The dining room in Cambridge. Right. Oh, shoot. Cut out the Cambridge part. The uh... <laughs> I've seen the dining room in Christchurch. Whoa. Where Harry Potter was filmed or based on. It was much smaller in real life. I was pretty disappointed. Yeah. Um, but very cool to see anyway. What were we saying? Yeah. You have other desires. You, you, tell me what I'm basically asking. Oh yeah. What do you want to do? Yeah. So I, I, I'm. What more do you want to do? Um, I am working on a novel right now for children. So a children's, a children's novel, adventure story. How old are we talking? Uh, we're talking middle grade. So the first three books of Harry Potter is middle grade. The last four are probably YA and I like middle grade. Okay. 
Middle grade is about adventure and friendship as opposed to about relationships. And that's kind of the distinction between middle grade and YA. When I say middle grade, it doesn't mean poor quality. <laughs> I, had to, I, I was describing that to someone once. I'm working on a middle grade novel. They're like, oh, so like not high grade. He's just like, well, it's easier. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, they're faster to write. Yeah. No, it has to do with age and content. Not so yeah. much about the quality. I Hopefully wanted, not. Yeah. I want it to be excellent. Right. You primo. Know? Right. Primo. High, the highest grade you can get. Yeah. Yeah. Grade A primo. Um, okay. And uh, has it helped to be an editor when you go into the writing? Yeah, I'd say they both have helped each other. Okay. So um, <clears throat> there's a couple books that I was struggling with on my edit through them, but after spending a ton of time on my own work, coming back to these, it was like a, le- uh, a light had been flipped on, and I could totally see all the problems that I needed to address or improve. They weren't problems. They were more improvements that needed to be made. Right. Yeah. So that's been, that's been, uh, helpful. That's kind of the, one of the main goals of getting a master's degree is to be able to just get excellent, to get excellent at something, which is nice. Would you, do you think you're uh, succeeding at this? Um, I think I, well, as you, as you mentioned, the process is all about just like with sanctification, the process is bit by bit and it's hard work. It's long patience. It's an effort of will. So, so that's the stuff you got to do over time. And then, yeah, God blesses that kind of stuff. For sure. Okay, Brian Cole. Is anything else at Canon that you're doing that you're excited about that you want to do? You know, is there anything going on that you want to? Yeah. So our Cannonball imprint is releasing a couple of great new titles this uh, Cannonball fall. imprint is is kid fiction okay. and kid nonfiction books for kids. Is Cannonball books spelled with just one N, Gary? And then um, C A N O N. Yeah, C A N O N B A L L. Yeah, we're like the camera. Yep, like the camera company. Uh, and then we're also working on some, some great nonfiction releases with new writers. So really, I would say, I'd love to tell you all about them, but you really just need to stay tuned. Check us out and follow, follow us. us at yeah. Press. Yeah. Yeah. All the things. Yep. And man, Brian Cole, we should be looking for, what's the title of your, your book coming out? Uh, it'll be, it'll be titled probably titling always is done by the publisher. So I refuse to say that. Okay. Wow. That's good. That's good. <laughs> so this no-name book, we're excited about it. Yeah. And uh, Brian Cole, thanks so much for coming on. We'd love to have you again, and maybe we can discuss boys. Oh, yeah. Man, a lot of stuff to talk about little dudes. Because you're four for four. Yep, four for four on little people. And um, Chevy Chase Cole is on his way. Chevy Chase. Chevy Chase Cole. Okay. All right, thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. <laughs>